0: Would you turn in your Bibles, remain standing if you would, to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, and we're going to skip uh, from verse 7 to verse 17. We're going to take these uh, two verses because they comprise of one topic, we're going to take these together this morning. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage. To you, this is the word of God, thanks be to God, God. you can have a seat, well Hebrews 13 uh, addresses some hot button issues or hot topics or at least some sensitive ones, Uh, last week was on marriage and contentment, nothing, nothing unusual there. And this week we have uh, leadership and authority and how to rightly use authority and be under authority. So we've come to uh, my favorite verses in all of Hebrews. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Actually, to be honest with you, congregation, I found these verses as relevant and as palpable for me as I hope they are uh, for you uh, this morning, I thought you know this is a this is a message just for the congregation, and uh, that wasn't uh, wasn't so in the study. so I hope that you are blessed as I was um, in the study. Church life can be a delicate thing, and not uh, Church leaders abuse power, and church members reject instruction instead of working in concert. Uh, church leaders and congregation often work in different directions, uh, uh, oftentimes even opposing one another. You combine this delicate balance between uh, leadership and congregation. you combine that with uh, envy and mistrust and pride and jealousy the uh, the soul 's um, desire for to reject authority. Church life seems to be more like a ticking time bomb uh, than a body working together, as we have in the scriptures. Some of you, I'm sure, and I think I've heard stories even, have good reason to doubt church authority. Uh, Dr. Michael Kruger wrote a new, uh, actually, brand new book. He's a professor at RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary, called uh, Bully Pulpit. It's addressing this issue, actually, of men using the pulpit to wield magisterial and legislative power, uh, not um, the rightful power of ministerial and declarative. So um, there is abuse of power. Let me just, so let me just state that up front, all right? There is abuse of power from the pulpit and in the church. We also need to understand that when we reject authority, and here's the key statement, that is a biblical faithful exercise of authority. And by the way, this, this pertains to uh, other spheres, such as the state and the family, not just the church. We overthrow the rule of Christ himself, actually. We overthrow the rule of Christ himself. To put it, to put it positively, submitting to good, we want positive statements today. To put it positively, submitting to good, divine, delegated authority, that is ministerial and declarative, is submission to God and a mark of true faith. Isn't it stunning when the centurion in Matthew 8 um, comes to Jesus and says, hey, I have someone sick and paralyzed in my home. Jesus, I, I want you to come to see him in my house and to heal him and um, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to come. And the Roman centurion has this remarkable statement about, I know what it's like to to have authority and to be under authority. So for you to come to my place and to heal my servant, uh, that's a remarkable thing. And Jesus says, your statement about understanding authority is actually a mark of true saving faith. (laughs) A stunning account. Hebrews 13, as we have argued, is a chapter on Christian virtue. Of what it looks like to be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And perhaps surprising to some, near the top of that grateful Christian virtue list. Is the relationship between church leaders and congregation. So my prayer is that as a church or as a congregation, because of our love for each other, verse one, Hebrews 13, This this fountainhead of virtue, because of our love for each other, uh, we would have leaders that rule, yes, I use the word rule, but that's the word, rule faithfully, and that congregations would follow trustingly. So here we go. Two points for you today, leaders who rule and congregations that follow. Leaders who rule and congregations that follow. We'll look at first leaders who rule. Verse seven. It says, "Remember your leaders." Well, who are these folks? Uh, this is a participle used here, and when it is used as a participle, uh, Acts fifteen verse twenty-two talks about leading men. Okay, the men who are leading. In other words, uh, a ruler or rulers in the plural. Matthew six, excuse me, Matthew two six, Acts seven ten. So they are God given. Recognized rulers of a local church, such as elders, overseers, pastors, uh, deacons. So, who are they? That's that's uh, their term. Uh, who are they? in specifically, so I'm gonna maybe a, a sub point under this main point. Okay, uh, who are they? Uh, a little little some comments here about church polity, which is church government. All right, at least here as it presides at Calvary Redeeming Grace. In our opinion, we have two offices, elder uh, and deacon, but you have other words that flesh out what this office is of elder. So here we go. Elder is Presbyteros, where we get the term Presbyterian. Good. The title elder can be found throughout the New Testament. Elders function as representatives of leaders of local churches. The authority of these first Christian elders came not by virtue of age nor length of membership in the church, though both of those are important. Not discounting that. But the authority rested on their qualifications, character and competence, Due to the weightiness of the ministry they receive from the apostolic office. Okay, so when you read the book of Acts, the office of apostles dying out. That's a problem because those were the first shepherds who preached the gospel, planted churches, and were shepherding the flocks of these local churches. So when they die out, that responsibility of proclaiming Christ, pastoring churches, and um, sending out missionaries, falls now to the elders, Acts 14. Okay. There is the second term you find in the New Testament called the overseer, which is the term episkopos. Along with the term elder, you have this word overseer, or uh, you might uh, find in your Bibles uh, bishop. While elder presbyteros emphasizes the spiritual maturity of this office overseer episcopos, emphasizes the leadership and direction aspect of this office. So it conveys the idea of watching over looking upon having regard to something or someone. So elder and overseer, you come across these in the book of acts also in the pastoral epistles, same office, uh, a slightly different nuance in function and how they uh, play out that office. Are you following me? Okay. Last, last term, pastor. It's only used once, actually, in the whole New Testament. That's funny because that's, like the la- the, that's the most used phrase we use uh, today. Poiman, Ephesians 4.11, the term pastor was translated only once in its noun form, the title joins those of elder and overseer in deepening the role of this office. The word literally means shepherd, and it was considered a lowly task in ancient culture. In biblical terms, however, it's a worthy task. Psalm 23, John 10, uh, provide a, a rich, deep understanding of what a pastor is to be. Uh, a shepherd pastor, they lead, they restore, they guide, they protect and they provide for the sheep. So that's who they are. Uh, these leaders that I think he's talking about. Elder, spiritual maturity, overseer, gives direction. Pastor is a, is a shepherd who feeds and protects the flock. Now, that's who they are. Let's look now at what they do. Okay. He says in verse 7, look at your Bibles. Remember your leaders. Those. This is what they do. Those who spoke to you the word of God. So preaching is the primary way leaders rule. There are a lot of imperatives in 2 Timothy, but only one receives the Preamble, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the word. Preach the word, he says. That's what church leaders must do. They must speak to you of Christ. They must proclaim the gospel. They must challenge and they must comfort they must wound and they must heal. Preaching, Richard Sibb says, is the chariot, I love this, that carries Christ up and down the world. That's the main function and duty of a leader is preaching, is proclaiming Christ to your hearts and Minds, and just for you to understand a little bit about what we try to do in preaching, and maybe perhaps for you to pray for your preachers, let me give you three ways: Pr- uh, Pray, and hopefully, we preach in a plain way. We make it clear not to please your ears, but to pierce your heart. Pray that your elders, your pastors, your overseers make their speech plain with simplicity, right to the soul. And as we're learning in in Sunday school, right to the soul, right to the mind first. Preaching must engage the mind with truth. You open the mind up with doctrine And with truth, you you get at that mind, that mind of the soul, and then you you draw out affections. Then you're after affections. You're after the appetite, the, the desire of your people. That's what you want to get to. And then after you've drawn affections or the desires of your people, then you seek to assault the will. You demand a response to who God is and what Christ has done. Pray that your pastors preach with plain speech. Not to please the ear, secondly. Pray. That they preach passionately, and it doesn't mean they yell. Alistair Begg, he preaches with passion, but he doesn't yell. St. Clair Ferguson, he preaches with passion, but he doesn't yell. Pray that your preachers preach with earnestness and fervency and cheerfulness and sobriety. As George Swinnick says, pray, uh, pray that your pastors preach uh, feelingly. I'm not even sure that's a word, but that you would. That you would preach feeling, you you must feel what you preach. You must have it in your bones. D.A. Carson said, a New Testament scholar, and I'm just paraphrasing him here. He says, my students uh, learn from me, not everything I tell them. What they learn from me is what I get excited about. What I'm passionate about. And then Carson says that had better be the gospel. Pray that your pastors preach with earnestness and with cheerfulness, passionately about Christ and his gospel with feeling. And lastly. Pray that we would preach with. A prayerful spirit. If we don't preach our sermons first to ourselves. Before he preach it to you, it is almost worthless. We must preach prayerful sermons to put them on the anvil of prayer and pound and pound and pound away. So they must speak to you the word of God. That's the first thing they must do. Second, they must keep watch over your souls. This is in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. It's a present active verb. It means continuous action. So to keep watch means to keep oneself always awake. And I can tell you that the literal meaning of that verse is a reality. Church, church rulers uh Ceaselessly, day and night, with diligence and care, watch over the well-being of your soul. Paul's ministry was marked with this. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In afflictions, hardships, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors. And then do you know what he adds next among all of those serious afflictions? Sleepless nights. Sleepless nights. Same word used here in Hebrews 13. Your church rulers are more than preachers. They are watchmen. They are not 80% theologians and 20% pastor. They are 100% of both. They're always on guard, never relieved of duty, always watching, rarely resting, always thinking about how to best protect and provide for you. And do you want to know why? Because there are others watching over you. The devil is watching you. And the world is watching over you. And they're all against you. And there are your pastors, like watchmen in a, in, a, in a tower, watching over for the enemies and watching over for your soul. They are for you while everyone else is against you. They keep watch over your soul. And they do this thirdly, uh, also in verse 17, as those who will give an account, as those who will give an account. I received a text from a friend last Sunday on my way to church. It read this. Remember, Ryan. There will be an accounting. At the end of the age. For days like today. Church leaders are stewards. We are not owners. Of God's house. And they will one day give an account for the ministry of their stewardship. This is why they exhort. This is why they warn. This is why they rebuke. This is why they strengthen. This is why they pray. Because one day you will not be their audience, God will. God will. There will be an accounting at the end of the age for days like today, which is which is why Richard Baxter uh, wrote preach as never sure to preach again. Preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men, he said, this could be your last sermon. So preach as you never preach again, lift it up and let it out and let it fly You're not guaranteed tomorrow or next Sunday even. You will give an accounting for today. What will I say at the end of the day for February 12th, 2023? I don't know. But there will be an accounting. Uh, Secondly, so we're out of uh, leaders that follow or or leaders who lead. Now we're into congregations that follow. Uh, verse seven. Uh, remember your leaders. Uh, very simply put, remember your leaders. Uh, bring them to mind. In other words, uh, uh, not a bare remembrance of of what they looked like or what they wore. That's not what he's getting at here. But to remember what they said, what they taught. In Chapter eleven, we were urged to do exactly this 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 gallery of faith, this church history, this Christian tradition that's been given to us. The author says, "Look at these men and women who' been sawn into, been imprisoned, done well, ran the ran the race and ended well. Look at them, remember them, he said. just last month um, I don't know what, where I saw this, but I was on a probably a blog somewhere, and uh, I came across the name Eric Alexander. Anyone know that name? He was a uh, minister in Scotland for years, and um, I think it was the Banner of Truth uh, website. Uh, Eric Alexander passed away last Jan- just a month ago in January. And I saw it, I was like, one of those things where you're just like, no way, Really? I didn't know he was sick. I listened to Eric Alexander for years. And I saw his, his name come across the, the screen, and I called my brother. I said, do you remember listening to Eric Alexander? Especially his exposition on the moral law, the Decalogue, and on Exodus. And we just devoured all of his sermons together. And uh, so Kyle and I had this brief conversation about the ministry of uh, eric alexander in our lives and that's what this author here is doing in, in a sense he's remember your leaders remember what they said Some if you can do this with those in your life historically in another, another church recount men and women of old who have poured into you though though dead they still speak it's a powerful way to be edified and encouraged in the faith remember your leaders Secondly, you are to to consider uh, the outcome of their way of life. To consider them, it means to look again and again, to inspect them carefully. We are to look at how their life turned out. What does it say? Consider the outcome of their way of life. Did they end well, is what he's getting at. Did they run through the tape? Did they finish well? Or was there a staggering, a sputtering unto death? Did they start well, but ended miserably? That's what he's getting at here. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Many men start well in the the faith. Some some end well. James Maitland, he was... um, he was a, well, he was a man in the 1660s who bought an island off of southeast of Scotland named Bass Rock, which, when he bought it, put a prison there, Bass Rock Prison. He put many Scottish Covenanters there um, during the 1660s. Well, James Maitland, 20 years earlier, was invited to the Westminster Assembly in the 1640s. So he imprisoned men. For the very truths. He espoused 20 years earlier. Started well. But a sputtering. At the end, people talked about his change in his life and his faith. I don't know. But consider He says the outcome of their way of life. Look at the end result. Did they run through the tape? Well. And he says imitate verse seven, imitate their faith. Follow, uh, mimic, imitate the faith of your church leaders, what they believe, what they profess, what they do and how they live. If they are not worthy of imitation, find men who are. A pastor's life must be vocal. Vocal. Worthy of imitation, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Peter 5, 2 Thessalonians 3, Philippians 3. John Owen wrote, If a man teaches uprightly but walks crookedly, more will fall down in the night of his life than he built in the day of his doctrine. Let me just give you six traits that I think are worthy of imitation in church leaders. Uh, number one, do they cling to Jesus? Is Christ their all in all? Or do they major on the minors? Do they do they talk and go on and on about minor issues of doctrine and theology? Do they cling to Jesus? Second, do they promote unity? Are they seeking to gather one another, those who even disagree with him, gather one another in in faith and unity? Third, do they take up his cross? Do they take up their cross? Do they die? Ministry is not a place where to stroke your ego. Ministry is a place to die. For those of you who are thinking about entering into the ministry, a call to the ministry, you need to know that this is a place to die. You need to know that this is a place where your failures will be put on display for about 100 people to see. This is not a place for your ego. This is a place to die. Take up your cross. The ministry is a wonderful thing, but is it a place to die. Four Are they humble? Look at the men around who have failed in the recent years. They're loud. They're arrogant. It's their way or nothing happens. Are your church leaders humble? Do they serve? Do they want to go low? Are they always trying to see others and put others in successful ways and spotlight on, on others and not on them? You know how easy it is in the ministry for the glory and the spotlight to be right here. It's very easy. Add that with your flesh. Are they humble men? Five, do they conform to sound doctrine and sound living? Can they rebuke false teaching? Do they know what sound doctrine is? Six, do they avoid schism? Some pastors, man, they they see a fight, and they just run to it. <laughs> they they see disagreements online, or and they're in it. Twenty minutes, they're all over it. Do your elders avoid schism? And as the words of First Peter five, do they shepherd the flock? Among them. You know, in some regard, your, your, your leaders, we don't care sometimes about what's going on out there. There's enough to do in here. And in here, do they avoid schism? Or are they always in the midst of a fight? If you find these traits in your church leaders, beloved, then you ought to find them in yourself. Verse 17, two more. Calls you to obey your leaders. It means to trust. To trust them. The nuance here in this word, it means to be convinced or persuaded. So the obedience God calls here is not a reluctant obedience. It is not a disinclined obedience. It is a trustful obedience. Which rests upon the conviction that the ministry my church leaders steward is the very ministry of Christ. And therefore, deserves my hearty obedience. That's the sense here. When the congregation is persuaded. That her leaders rule with the very mind of Christ. Obedience will be rendered. If it is not rendered. A world of trouble is the result. So it involves this trust and lastly. The author of Hebrews tells us uh, to submit to them. I think this is the key word for this context, at least on the congregation side. You'll see why in just a minute, I think. Uh, Submit, it, it means to yield under. It was used of an army to indicate retreat or withdrawal or even surrender. It means to give way to. Uh, To concede, which is why we have the word submit. So, the nuance here is God calls you to submit to your leaders. Hear this, even when your own judgment is in another direction. And we're talking about non, non sinful categories. You following? Submit to your leaders, concede to them, even when your own judgment is in another direction. So let me just give some examples. Uh, Joining a denomination or an association. Your judgment may be in a different direction, but if your church leaders deem it wise and good, you should probably do it. Frequency of the Lord's Supper. There's one. We do it every week here. But if you go to a church that does it once a month, should you raise a fuss? Adopting and using a Protestant confession. Your judgment may be in a different direction of your church leaders, but is it something to fight about? Style of music, I think, is the common one. You may like contemporary or traditional, hymns or no hymns. What else is out there these days? Psalms only. Rock and roll. roll. Style of music. Well, you know what? I'm going to dig in my heels on this one. No, you shouldn't. (laughs) No, you shouldn't. Raising your hands for the benediction. How'd I put that one in there? Is it commanded? No. Is it exemplified in Nehemiah? Yeah. We'll move on. I don't want to move on, but um, (laughs) some of you, you have be like Super Bowl today, you know, arms out, man. Meeting in different rooms for COVID. We got to do that. I'm out of here. There are various things in the life of a church where your elders seek to make decisions that aren't commanded in Scripture. They try to do it the best and good intentions for the glory of God and your good, and God calls you to obey and submit, provided that that decision and that ministry and that authority is wielded with a good, healthy, biblical perspective. And then God says, let them do this with joy, verse 17, and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. If you do not obey your leaders, this is what he is saying, they will perform their work with grief. The bulk of grief of church leaders, for those of you who have been church leaders, you'll probably know this, the bulk of grief in the heart of a church leader does not come from the decline in society. It doesn't. And I agree with end, we care about it, but nowhere near to the grief of church members fighting and not loving each other and not submitting to good Authority. If you do not obey your leaders, they will perform their work with grief. But if you do, and I can say with a clear conscience, your leaders perform their work with joy most of the time. Even at times against your judgment, they will perform their work with joy. So let me just give a couple of points of application and then we'll be done. Congregation, Understand your duties to your leaders. If your elders do not speak to you the word of God, do not watch over your soul, do not live consistently before you in a way of imitation, replace them with men who will. Please set those men aside okay, and get men who will do those things. That is for the glory of God and for the edification of his church. But if your leaders are about the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and shoving that into your soul. Obey and submit. Do not hold them them at arm's length or resist their instruction. A critical, judgmental spirit is contrary to the ministry of Christ, His church, and His gospel. Church rulers, last one. Understand your duties to your people. You minister on behalf of the living Christ. This is no game. Above all else, love your people and be a man of God. Feed them Christ. Feed them Christ. And when you're done feeding them Christ, give them Christ again. Because that's what they need. Avoid pettiness. Prize truth above relevance. Exhort from behind. Pray from the front. Walk among them all and die well. Be forgotten by the world, but remembered by your people. And that's it. That's it. Let's pray. Our great God, church life is such a delicate thing. Oh, how I pray that we would cling to Christ each and every day. Cling to him. And cling to him. That Christ would be our all and our everlasting joy. Amen.